Hello and welcome to the State of Customer Service podcast. I'm your host, Ben Goody from the Sentisum team. This podcast is part of the scale series that we're doing at the moment, where we talk to customer support leaders who've led support as their company has scaled up. In this episode, we talk to Lauren Cunningham, Senior Support Ops and Strategy Lead at Loom. In Lauren's tenure, Loom grew from 700,000 to 10 million users. Early on, Loom's support contact rate the percent inbound per active user was at an unsustainable 4%. But over the past two and a half years, Lauren and the Loom support team reduced that number to just 1%, managing to stay operationally lean using all the different methods that we are going to discuss today. At one point over the pandemic, Loom even saw a six times spike in ticket volume. You will also hear today how they manage that situation using Loom's product itself. Towards the end of the podcast, we get to chatting about customer support ticket insights. Loom is particularly hot on leveraging support insights to drive product improvements. So we'll take a look at how and why those insights drive so much value at Loom. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you love the stories from inside scaling companies, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and listen to our backlog of episodes. We're always sharing clips and advice on the Sentisum LinkedIn channel as well. So if you want daily support videos, come over and follow us there. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Great to Hi, have you here. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, okay, so we always start with just an introduction. So please, could you give us a kind of quick overview of who you are and yeah, your career background and where you work now? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and super nice to meet you. I'm a team lead on the support team over here at Loom and I've been with Loom for a bit over two and a half years based in beautiful Lisbon, but I'm from Melbourne uh, originally. And our team at Loom is, we're remote first, but we're based around the US. We have some colleagues in New Zealand, Brazil, and throughout Europe as well. So we were a remote first company before the pandemic, but obviously that's exacerbated or (laughs) expedited the remote first culture. And yeah, from a support point of view, prior to Loom, I was more in an account management type background, working in marketing and advertising agencies. And now I've moved to the wonderful world of Loom and it's been an interesting and exciting ride. I think when I joined a bit over two and a half years ago, we had 700,000 users, which is still wild. And now there's 10 million, which is really cool, but it's a exciting and, you know, interesting operational challenge. So yeah, yeah, that's a little bit about me and where I'm from. That is, it is a crazy growth. So when you started, you said, you think you said there was like three people, and you've gone 10 times the number of customers or more than that. How has yeah. that, that been? Yeah, so in support, there was three of us when I joined. I think there was maybe 12 or 13 people at the company. Now we're at 130 oh. people at the company. But I think one of the interesting kind of customer-focused things at Loom is one of the first hires outside of the founders, when Loom was only three founders and an, and an engineer, was actually a support leader who's um, still the head of the support team so there was a lot of focus on hearing the customers and serving the customers from that early on so it was nice to then join the team and then things have um, grown since then we're 14 or 15 now on the support team including some technical support engineers and some support agents and leads and so on so yeah exciting growth (laughs) yeah that's crazy i think even to have like the team that you do have and deal with all of the volume you have with 10 million customers that's pretty good it seemed like an efficient team we're trying we've made a big effort to stay lean in our processes but it's yeah there's it's a 
fun operational kind of equation to tackle, I think, dealing with that many people. Yeah, definitely. Are you so out of interest? Is it like what's the what is most of it self-serve? Do you would you find like how what kind of like volume do you have? Are you dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so it's grown a lot, <laughs> as you can appreciate. The guiding metric that we do use to inform our operational decisions in support is we have percentage of ticket inbound based on active users. So we call that our contact rate. And so when I joined, there were 700,000 users. Our contact rate was 4%. And then we saw steady user growth over the following couple of years. And with that comes ticket growth, of course. And we realized we couldn't sustain that ratio, I think, and still provide a good customer experience. That's why we've really focused on trying to pull this number down. We focused a lot on self-serve and now our contact rate is below 1%. So even oh, wow. over 10 million signups now, our contact rate has been able to go down quite dramatically. So that was the decision we made because we forecasted out back then what does hiring look like and what does hiring costs look like to continue to support users at that 4% contact rate level. And at a Series A company, we quickly realized that we were just going to get no's from leadership. (laughs) So I don't even think we needed to ask leadership. We just thought, okay, we need to reduce this contact rate and keep our team lean and continue to reduce this. And that's really where the self-serve model came in and we were able to reduce it down. I think that's a success story (laughs) in a way. So, you, so, so just to like recap, you had at the beginning, you were just maintaining a 4%, but as the customers grow, that just means you have a ridiculous amount of contacts. And then you got that down to 1%. That is, so that's obviously was really successful. Was there other ways that you would, so self-service one, well, was there other ways that you managed to decrease that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good then question. Then we can dig, in, dig into self-serve a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think self-serve was our main focus, but I think for us as well to maintain a lower contact rate unsurprisingly, we're a video uh, messaging tool. So we relied heavily on communicating via video with customers as well, video messages. So we find that's a very scalable way to still be personal. So that was another way. And then obviously self-serve has been a big portion of that. And I know we do want to be available for our customers. This is not to say we don't want people to contact us because we absolutely do, but we know that the reality of customer support is people don't want to contact support a lot of the time. They would far prefer to get the answer themselves. And I don't know if you're the same, Ben, but I definitely am someone that wants to just answer the question myself and not have to contact a company. So with that in mind, that's why we really doubled down on our help center. And, you know, we have a really high volume of articles in there. We accompany most articles with a video because we think that's a way that our customers want to learn. Our viewing or viewership in the help center i think before COVID and after COVID went from we're getting 1 million views a quarter to 3 million views so we had a huge jump there and then we also introduced an in-app support button using a company at the time called Alevio, which brings the answers into our web app so that was also able in the last quarter to deliver i think it was 350,000 answers and that was before tickets got created so we can almost say that they were potential support requests that never got to us because the user did find their answer. So they were, was, they were, they were like automated replies, or they would suggest like a, an article that they do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a suggested article tool, which I think speaks to the effort we put in with the content originally that it was able to satisfy those answers. And then I guess another thing to answer your question on how we've continued to 
maintain or reduce this contact rate. And this is more of a recent thing, but we did also introduce a chatbot. And I know there's a lot of negative connotation in the industry, maybe around chatbots as well, because it can be a way to make humans not available. And that's not really our intention, but we do think it's just a way to give customers faster support. So for things that we know can be answered quickly, we inform the bot based on what we know of our help center already. And that's already been able to, it's only a few months old, but that's already been able to reduce 15 to 20% of some of those simple inbound tickets, which then frees up our agents time to deal with more complex things. Yeah. So yeah, there's some of the ways. Those things, those, I think some of them, yeah, have a bad rep, but you're right. When you have like millions of support requests, they, there's a lot of ones that can just be answered easily. There's no harm in doing it if it's managed well, for sure. Yeah, I agree. They can have a negative rep at times, but I think it also means that the person doesn't have to wait a lot of the time. And there's a lot of delay in, even if a support team has instant chat, there can still be a delay. So if there's other ways for people to get answers faster, it's always going to provide a better experience. Yeah, for sure. I think, I, like you said, your preferred way is to do like self-serve. I think for me, I don't know, I've thought about this because I think the, the main reason that I don't like self-serve is that most of the time I can't find what I want or it doesn't exactly answer it. And then I've read an article and it's just feel like frustrated. What I really want is an instant live chat with someone who can tell me what I want. Um, but that's obviously, that's would take a lot of work as well. A lot of agents on the ground. Yeah. Um, and it's something we do. We're not there yet just because of the staffing behind live chat but we definitely is something we want to explore because we agree that's an excellent experience to have someone to talk to by chat and i guess the sweet spot we lean on because we don't support live chat at the moment and we don't have um, phone support which is obviously a very common thing for software companies now to not offer phone support but the kind of happy medium in between is video messaging for us so if a customer writes in instead of sending a long-winded answer or a lot of screenshots and arrows, we record them a video, we walk them through the steps. And I think it it does tend to yield a better CSAT, but also because I think they instantly see, oh, you're a human, you're helping me. And it's amazing, even if someone's having quite a frustrating experience, how quickly you can turn them around with a video that shows your voice, they hear your empathy, and you help get it resolved faster. I can imagine that's very personal very personalized approach to it is that what is that one of the like use cases that loom sells themselves as like you can use us for customer support yeah so loom in general is a very horizontal tool there's so many use cases that's definitely in the customer facing world that's i think that's a big use case we know teams at big support teams at guru monday.com and these other companies are using loom their support teams are heavy loom users Um, also sales teams for outreach engineering teams for maybe reporting a bug or doing a walking through their code. And yeah, there's so many use cases. And I think that's one of the challenging things is we're still learning from our customers, how they're using it a lot of the time, which is exciting, but yeah. Yeah. Loom, I mean, it's a, it's a, for a company that's only started a few years ago, it's very well-known and like huge brand. It's cool. I have another question around self-serve, I guess, if you had to say, what's your kind of thing to avoid for other people if you're going to implement self-serve? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of, lot of learning curves. <laughs> it's not, hasn't all gone well. I think the learning for us around, so just when the pandemic happened, like a lot of companies, there was a big change in usage or 
um, even support volume and people shifted to online learning and online work. And we also offered up our education. We offered up a, a premium service free for all education users. Oh, nice. And what we didn't foresee is what that would do to our support volume. So there was a few hundred tickets sometimes in the inbox a day. And all of a sudden we had 10, 20, 30,000 requests from education users. Sure. And it was a short-term problem that we did address, but we didn't quite foresee that. And I think mm -hmm. one of the things is we didn't have obviously the staffing available for that to support those people. We ended mm -hmm. up, you know, naturally when that happens in quite a big backlog that we continue to battle. So it's not always perfect. I think there's when things happen out of the blue like that, you not necessarily staffed for it but I think something our CEO says and I'm going to butcher this but he says like plan and build as if you're going to 10x what you're doing today so I think we try to think of that mindset and I would also encourage other support operations to think like that as well because I think don't plan for the volume you have right now plan for the volume you might have if your user base grows 10x and I guess that's where self-serve comes into it but yeah definitely do you think would you say that was was that like a breakdown between the product team and the support team to unexpectedly get 30,000 tickets or is it just unexpectedly picked up by the world i think it was so that particular that was just the outcome of implementing something in three days i think from the moment that loom said we're going to give it loom premium free or loom pro free to all education users yeah. that turnaround happened really quickly so that was just a you couldn't a, write a ton of articles in advance because yeah to... and i think the kind of nice thing about that is once we saw that inbound and it was, it was predominantly just people asking to become verified because we didn't have an automated process yet. So it wasn't anyone with having major issues. They were just saying, oh, like, you know, how do I get Loom Pro for free? Mm -hmm. So as the product team quickly pivoted and what we ended up doing was building a self-serve verification flow. So quickly users, instead of having to contact support to get verified, they could do it themselves through the website. So that was how we quickly turned that around. And That's even in that challenging time, we also leaned on video a lot because we're in a huge backlog and there was weeks where people weren't getting responded to just because we weren't ready for it. And what we actually did was our um, amazing head of support, Susanna, she sent out a video to all of these users and she just explained the situation and said, we're really sorry. We're learning to deal with this new normal like everyone else. And we know you've been waiting and we are going to get to what we promise. We're doing everything we can. And obviously she worded a lot better than this. And she, she visually as well showed the volume and what our team was dealing with. I can imagine you got a lot of understanding from that, just a video telling. Communication yeah. is the key often to a lot of these problems. Yeah. And it just got received so much better than I think an email would have gotten responded to because we were able to bulk send that out to thousands of people. And the responses were overwhelmingly nice. People were like, oh, no, thank you. You're doing a good job. And people were apologizing to us. And we were saying, no, we're so sorry. We're the ones at fault here. We, we're not keeping up with this. So I think that kind of shows the power of sometimes just having your face on camera and they can see you and the empathy. And it really provided a better outcome of a, a difficult situation. Yeah, I, I can see that. And it didn't take some significant amount of time because it's one video to everybody. Yeah, like one 60 second video with all it was. Cool. Um, so I would like to then talk about insights. I know this is something that you at Loom focus on and having the product and customer support insights connected and sharing between each other. I think that's innovative still, but it's happening more and more, especially in like product, like software product led companies. Why do you share insights with your product team? What's, what do you get out of it? For us, 
it is so important and we've learned over time that the power of this as our product team has grown as well and i think it's so important to us is because we always generally say in our support team like or at loom in general we win when our customers win and we want to make sure that our customer's voice is being heard by the wider team and i think a lot of companies talk about customer obsession but then the daily grind happens and you can lose sight so we actually recently introduced a voice of the customer program to help combat this and help the wider team get closer to the customer and also and feel their pains and their joys and their use cases and i think the flip side of that is it also helps the support team get closer to the company as well and you know support organizations could get siloed or can get siloed and this is a way to build connection and connected tissue and relationships between different departments so we circulate out our voice of the customer report and which is support trends and what's top of mind for our customer, trending issues, highlighting unique use cases, that type of thing. And we found it to be really powerful that this impacts product decisions and they feel like the rest of the team or the engineers who are building the product can feel more connected to the customer. And I think a recent example of this that worked quite well. So video, again, we receive a lot of videos from our customers demonstrating their issues or their questions and it's very powerful with the customer's advice, of course, with the customer's permission uh, to then share this on directly, sometimes with our product and engineering team. So we recently had a case where one of our biggest enterprise customers is Atlassian and they, one of the senior leaders at Atlassian sent in a video and he was showing that he was very confused, understandably, that he was on one workspace and his team was on another workspace. And we know that is a confusing part of the product at the moment that we're solving for. And I think previously to working at Loom or previously to being video focused, a support team would paraphrase and dilute the customer's message and frustration but it was so powerful to be able to just share that directly with the product team and the engineering team with his permission again of course and they could see in his voice and and it really helps them see the difficulty and the confusion and then I think the direct impact of that is the product and engineering team are close to the customer and then can solve the customer's issues faster so that's why it's so important to us and I think the other thing we always think about is or we encourage the whole support team to contribute to this voice of the customer program but we really try to channel the mentality in our support team that support isn't about ticket crushing. You won't hear that vocab ever in our support organization. We talk about tickets, but we don't see it as ticket crushing because at the end of the day, it's a human at the other end of that ticket that has a problem we want to solve. And instead we promote how can support add value and improve product quality opposed to just how can we answer their questions. So I think formulating their insight and wrapping them up in a way that is meaningful to other teams. And I know that's a big part of what Centium does is super important to us. And I think at the end of the day, it does add value back to the company. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting way to share to share insight through that through through something like Loom itself. A lot of what we we talk, a lot of the people we talk to have this. We need the quantitative side of things because if we see the volume or we can see trends, um, we can find new topics, and also we can say this is the worst topic or this is the worst topic today, and that's really important. But the thing that always hits home is like the qualitative side of it. So normally they'll share an actual customer quote, and that's what will make the action happen. But if you can actually share a video with someone senior at a famous company, I could imagine that gets listened to pretty quickly especially if you and then if you can say on top of that this is not the first person to have this problem you have like hundreds every month or something yeah yeah i definitely agree with that and i think it's so important to have the qualitative and quantitative kind of complement each other and that's what we definitely focus on as well we do monthly 
monthly or bi-weekly meeting for production engineering where we do present the support data and the support findings and yeah. in the past and we show we try to do this through telling a story and showing it in an impactful way and I think in the past I've lent into paraphrasing what customers said just because I didn't want my slides to be messy and I wanted it to look nice and actually someone else on the team was like no Lauren don't do that put the raw video or the raw text from the customer in there because it is more powerful to see what they're saying exactly and then support it with data as well instead of pulling out my interpretation of their issue so I think that was good advice as well and I think yeah that's I think that's a great point it's something definitely I was seeing echoed a lot of people I talked to about this subject what kind of insights like how do you choose what to share with your team with your product team yeah so we definitely share as I mentioned like quantitative and qualitative insights I think well we put together, I guess the first thing we think about is we look at the data, what is the data telling us? And then from then we kind of like package up the story around it. But essentially if something's affecting product quality or causing a big source of confusion or frustration, like that's at the top of our list. But we also try to put in the joys as well to not make it all wrapped up in negativity. And the other way to make sure we're amplifying the most important information is the support team will attend the sales team's feedback sessions and the sales team attends the support team's feedback session and that way they're working with customers on a really one-to-one basis so they're hearing things but then in support we're hearing it on a much higher volume so I think being able to combine our findings together as well and making sure we're amplifying the right things is also very helpful for that and we tend to lean into Zendesk Explore we find that a pretty powerful tool to package up all of our insights so as far as what insights we share and how we make them actionable we definitely we put a lot of importance in our team into categorizing tickets correctly and tagging tickets correctly and then we package up that information into bi-weekly or monthly syncs with the product team and I think another way we've found this to be valuable is we've started creating dashboards for different product teams so they can then self-serve the information for themselves Mm -hmm. and recently had we had some product work that was being done around delete account work for how someone deletes their loom account and it was pretty confusing and we were getting a lot of support tickets about it and so we set up a dashboard for the particular product manager that was working that project and she could see week on week how many tickets were coming in about this specific issue and so then she could as they were working through making these changes and releasing them often they could see okay this week we released this feature this delete count feature and then the ticket spike so you can see that direct correlation between the impact which I think was very powerful and that was a cool moment because she had the dashboard and then she came to me saying hey I think something happened last week I'm seeing this in your dashboard and so it didn't have to be support giving out the information like that could all come self-served they came to us with it actually I talked to someone who is now a product manager and used to be a support person and we talked about their journey in between the two but she was saying as well like product people don't have and a login to Zendesk most of the time. So how are they supposed to get any of this insight? Like there needs to be something in the middle where you can self-serve getting insights as a product person. So that was a bit of a barrier for us as well with Zendesk, but we recently, you know, with this reason in mind, upgraded our account to now have more seats, more light seats. So now the product managers do have a seat in Zendesk. And I think exactly of what you're mentioning then, that was the problem we were trying to solve there is that we want them to be able to come in and see firsthand. And they're super curious as well to be close to the customer too cool is it for you as a lot of the insight sharing piece is that about 
reducing contact rate as well? Is that like the driving force behind it? I think so. I think it's partially that, but it's also about improving product quality and navigating the roadmap to be what the customers are asking for opposed to what we just think they want. We want to fix the product (laughs) opposed to just answer the ticket. So I think that's where the getting the insight piece is really valuable. Yeah. Definitely. For me, anyway, the insights part is a way to make support extremely valuable to the rest of the company and to be seen as like they're the ones underpinning the growth or the product strategy and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I love that you brought this up because I think it's something I feel pretty strongly about and I know our support team does as well. And I think it's a very outdated view that support is a cost center and that doesn't really promote a customer centric mindset. And if you're seeing your support team as a cost center as well, you're not really, you you are putting a big investment into a support team, but then you're not getting much out of them or not as much out of them as you could. So I think seeing it as a growth center, I think is what you mentioned, is uh, super valuable and super important. And that's what I guess we try to make the support organization at Loom is something that can provide insightful feedback, help define a roadmap and surface what the customers want and, and are feeling because without customers, you don't have a company. So I think it's important for everyone to know a tactical way to do this is more tracking the behavior or the retention value a customer has after an interaction so from a loom point of view an example could be when someone contacts support we could figure out the metrics that they end up recording or sharing five times more videos so that's going to have a net positive reaction or a net positive impact on the business so that way we can say that support interaction was x dollars financially beneficial to loom instead of thinking about that support interaction cost them ten dollars it can be difficult data to grab but i think that's really how i think is the best way to frame support in an organization because i totally agree with that it should be a growth center not a cost center are you so are you actively doing that at loom like to tie your kind of support to operational return on investment metrics? Yeah, so we're working on it. It's a pretty data heavy operational lift and our data team is pretty underwater, but that is something that we're working towards that I think helps you really show the value of a support interaction and quantify it because it, it can be very hard to quantify. But retain, if it retains a customer, then it's already a kind of net positive yeah. financial implication for the company. I think it's really important work to do, but it does seem very complicated. Yeah, cool. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I've missed that you want to share? Yeah, I think, no, I think we we touched on a lot of important topics. I think just, yeah, empowering the support team to be really vocal, I think is just the most important thing to building connective tissue and making sure the customers are being heard in the organization. The, the last thing is I think other teams that don't work directly with the customers still get a lot of value out of seeing the insight. So sometimes there'll be a fix or something will happen and we'll make an effort to share with our engineering team. Hey, when you made that change, our ticket volume went down X percent. And I think I'm not an engineer, not smart enough to be an engineer, but I think for the developers who can see that they're, that must be a pretty satisfying thing, I think, to see that really literal return on a product improvement they made. So definitely, yeah, cool. yeah, definitely, I can see that. Like connect connecting people across the company to how their work impacts the customer actually is super powerful. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, awesome to talk to you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.